0: Last week here on Truth For Today, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what are some of the accomplishments of the cross? We'll look at that. Next on Truth For Today, join us. valley bible church in hercules this is truth for today with pastor phil howard greetings and welcome to our program today we're continuing our series called the passion collection and today we want to focus on the accomplishments of the cross what all did jesus accomplish we tend to think of a punishment but seldom do we understand the accomplishments that were made while he suffered in our place join us won't you the accomplishments of the cross from our passion collection Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor now. Once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
1: I want to preach on the good news today, why you ought to have your mouth engaged in sharing good news. Few people ever get saved through silent witnessing. They can watch your life from now to Noons Day, and not get saved. Some of them may never want to go to church watching your life. Some may want to go, but watching our life isn't the gospel. The gospel is a marvelous message. So let's turn to Isaiah 53. And I'm not going to preach Isaiah. I'm using it as a launching pad uh, to show you the concepts of the cross. Now, last week I preached on the death of Christ. Anybody here? I think we went into detail. We could have had Mel Gibson here to show his film. Or we've got the latest one, the Son of God. Did you know during the Easter season, if you'll visit Mexico, Philippines, Spain, Portugal, strong Brazil, strong Catholic countries, there will be many crucifixions going on all over the world. They will enact the crucifixion of Christ, and the pathos is gut-wrenching. I mean, uh, if anyone has perfected it, the Catholic Church has played, I mean, they're doing the Stations of the Cross, and the cross, the cross. Here's my concern. You could see the enactment of the crucifixion of Christ a hundred times and never know what it accomplished. Just a pathetic story. It is a pathetic story. A heartbreaking story of how a man innocently was killed. And so, that's one thing. But, do you know the message of the cross? Do you know the message of the death of Christ? And uh, Lewis Chafer said, there's 14 things Christ accomplished. Prof, I had in school, said 22 things. And I think both are wrong. More things were accomplished by the cross than we'll ever know in this life. But I'm going to simply pick up five things And it's going to be the helicopter view because I have a 20-week series. Okay. Ritualogy used to tell me when I get through preaching, he said, I enjoyed the series. I know this. These five things. Justification. How long could we preach on justification? Believe me. Take Romans. Why do I love Romans? Justification by faith. Propitiation. Say that. I just want to see if you can say it. Propitiation. That's a, you just added a new word to your vocabulary. NIV translated atonement. Atonement is ambiguous. What was accomplished in the atonement? And this is propitiation. We're going to look at redemption, reconciliation. We're going to look at five things. I'll read the prophet Isaiah, and you try to look at as many things as you could see here that would say substitution, maybe propitiation that satisfies God, maybe redemption, reconciliation, maybe justification. Watch, a whole lot of it is expressed in this chapter. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows. He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed." All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was a sign with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, Joseph of Arimathea, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Let me explain in brief ways, these concepts, what our gospel is. I raised my children in Christian schools. I remember Bethel. And the gospel was Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day and was seen in many witnesses. The thing about that, you haven't told the gospel yet. You've told the facts upon which the gospel is built. The gospel, the good news God brings to us, is built upon these historic facts. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Now, that's loaded there because that's substitution. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen of many witnesses. But you haven't told anybody what it gives you. What did it do? What did it accomplish? Four things to keep in mind. We deserve to die as the penalty for sin. He that sinneth shall die. So we deserve death as a penalty. Two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against our sin. Three, we are separated from God by our sins. Fourth, we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. How can these conditions be remedied? And so we come to the cross, and the first thing we come to, and Isaiah says it over and over, Jesus Christ died as our substitute. As our, the gospel is the good news that God was willing to bear our punishment. The Greeks had two words, hyper and anti. One, the who prayers would be translated, would be he dies for the benefit of those he dies for. But many places, it's used in the sense of another preposition, anti, he dies instead of us. Antichrist is a person instead of Christ. So the gospel is Christ died instead of us, in our stead, in our place. That God says things like this, I will die for sinners, just like Isaiah says, "over over our transgressions. Our sin, our iniquity, our sin. He took all of this on himself. He suffered for our sin. Over and over, you have this substitution language. You, you see all the Old Testament sacrifices uh, that when you, you, it was enacted all the way from Exodus to Leviticus. Let's confess our sin over this lamb, uh, a, a guilt offering, even a, a bullock. Uh, we confess our sins, and by acting out, we're transferring our guilt. And they were called guilt offerings, trespass offerings. And when this animal is killed, we know in picture, it should have been me. We just transferred. I got a substitute. Now, According to Romans 3, God was never satisfied with that substitute ultimately. He said, that gives you 360 more days of grace. And it will be due in 360 days because the blood of bulls and goats can never solve the sin problem. I'm just letting you buy time. And that final payment according to Romans, was to be met in the cross. God forbore, put up, forbearance. He put up with in the past. He sustained payment. It's like the balloon payment is due. I've been giving you grace, but the whole picture is an animal in your place. Now, what happens at the cross? Hear this. Divine love triumphs over divine wrath, By divine sacrifice. Divine love, I love you sinner. That won't get you to heaven until the wrath of God against your sin is satisfied. Well, I love you, but I'm going to be holy. So I've got to deal with your sin in order for my love to rescue. Somebody's got to pay. So God said, the only payment I will accept is myself and I will be in the sun dying. An artist drew a picture of Christ, and the picture was the nail going through his hand. But in the artist's conception, behind the hand of Jesus was the heart of God, and the nail went all the way through. God was in Christ reconciling the world. God was in Christ. This is my solution for your problem. The biblical gospel of atonement is of God satisfying himself by substituting himself for us. You could never satisfy God. Only God could satisfy God. Therefore, Christ died instead of you. This is our gospel. It's called penal substitution because penalty, sin brings penalty and liability. Guilt means you're liable to penalty. And what happened at the cross, God exacted the penalty for our sins on our substitute. Listen to this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. He puts himself in the place of God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. We wanted to be God, and we took the fruit, and we stepped in the place of God. God said, I'll take the place of the guilty man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man. And puts himself only where man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. This is substitution. It is the judge who in this passing scene takes the place of those who ought to be judged who in this passing allows himself to be judged. The judge of all mankind says, I will take the judgment of God against mankind. God provided the only lamb that could satisfy his demands so that the cousin of Jesus says, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is a substitutionary death for our penalty. Two, a word taken from the temples of all the ancient Near East, the word propitiation. I like to get people to say it because they don't even know what it means. So I'm here to tell you what it means. Propitiation was used in the temple worship of the pagans so that uh, many say that's a barbaric concept for God to say uh, he's angry and he must be appeased. That's barbaric. That comes right out of paganism. Well, paganism did have the view that the gods were angry, always. And that they had to be placated. They had to be, you had to feed the gods. You you were always uh, wooing, trying to temper them, because they they stayed angry. My dad one time said my mother was the most even-tempered woman he'd ever met. We thought that was wonderful. He said she gets up mad, goes to bed mad. That wasn't true. He's just being mean, but you know, some days it was true. Um, but our God isn't a God that just emotionally. I'm mad today. He's angry because he's been violated. His His commandments have been broken, and he said, "Death, the bad side of me will come if you don't do what I say." And God must keep His word, right? I was illustrating the first service. Something that drives you batty is these parents. You better do what I say, boy, I'm gonna spank you. And you know the parents lying. That kid hadn't been spanked for three years. <laughs> Quit lying. Quit lying. Quit lying. If you're not gonna spank them and you're making an arrangements for them at juvenile hall, tell them. If they won't obey you, then they can't obey anybody else, right? My dad was so tender. He said, you always bring a baby lion home from the hospital. Dad, this is your precious grandchild. It's a young lion cub. <laughs> that doesn't seem tender, grandfather. It's not. The little rebels from the womb. Can you imagine having him at a child dedicated? God bless this lion cub that will devour, <laughs> scratch, and rebel. Spank them while you can't. Well, let's leave that alone. Don't call CPS on me. Uh, but, but see, God doesn't say, if you do that, I'm going to do something. And is it well, I'm just kidding. I can't do that because I'm so lovey. No, I'm so lovey, I going to keep my word. And if you sin, I'm going to judge it. And then Jesus comes along and Romans says, he came and he did what the law could not do, for he redeems us and he has propitiated God. In our sins, 1 John 2.2, he's the propitiation for our sins and that of the world. The love of God was demonstrated, 1 John 4.10, that he gave his son to be the propitiation. What does that mean? God is angry with our sin, and he's angry with sinners, and his wrath is being revealed from heaven. He says in John 3.36, every unsaved man is living beneath the wrath of God. It hasn't settled down on you yet, or you'd be lost but it's hovering over you. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from my anger about sin. I'll tell you an interesting Bible study you may want to try sometime. I grew up with this statement. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Anybody hear that? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound, it's just, a, you almost write a, you know, a Hallmark card. Read Psalms 1 through 30. Just one through 30. And see how many times he says, I hate a murderer. I hate a blood guilty man. I hate pride. I hate those that lie. He not only says he hates the sin, but he hates those that do it. Well, who do you think you are, God, that you think you can hate somebody? Isn't it wrong to hate? Not if it's me. Well, wait, 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 wait. You said I was one time your enemy. You were? Well, are you angry with me? Not if you've accepted Christ because Christ has borne the anger of God against your sin and now has been totally satisfied with the payment so that he now can say, I have no anger against you. Matter of fact, I've embraced you as my own. God has been satisfied with the death of his son in your place. This is propitiation. Then then we go on, and that is the temple We go to the slave market, and we talk about redemption. Uh, That Jesus Christ came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word ransom is related to several other Greek words. In Greek, the word for redemption. Now, in the Old Testament, we've got redemption, and we've got the beautiful story of it in the book of Ruth that says to redeem someone. You had to be related to them. You had to be kin to them. Two, you had to have the means to buy them back. And three, you had to be willing. And the first kinsman, Redeemer, was not willing to buy uh, Ruth. He wouldn't do it. He was in line. And when he told the elders, I don't want to buy her. I don't want her. Boaz steps up. He said, I'm kin. I've got the finance, and I love her. I'm willing to do it. The picture of Christ, he became my kinsman in the incarnation. He came with the power to buy, and he said, I'm willing to die. I will lay down my life a ransom. What God says in redemption, I can emancipate you from the slavery of sin by paying a price. It's something if you ever go to Charleston, South Carolina, we visited there. That's where the Civil War started, you know, on the harbor there. And the, the, the slave trade was big in uh, Charleston. And uh, the slaves coming in by way of Africa, Caribbean, the British were bringing them there. And there you saw African people sold, families broken up, dad sent here, mom sent there. Slaves bought that day and perhaps branded that your property You belong to me. I paid a price to release you from the market, the sale. I bought a human being for 50 bucks. Oh, the atrocity of it. And it's the same picture that God said, I found you in the slavery of sin. I found you a slave to the devil. But my son paid the releasing price to get you out of the dominion of Satan and to bring you into the family of God. The famous, famous I Have a Dream speech at Lincoln Memorial. The first five paragraphs are worth the whole speech. When you've got a preacher from the South, from Birmingham, saying, I'm here today. For 150 years ago, this country wrote a check that said I could go free. 150 years ago, they wrote an Emancipation Proclamation. But we still can't vote in Mississippi. We still can't run for public office without the Klan wanting to kill us. I'm here on the steps, Mr. Lincoln. I want to cast a check that's been 150 years overdue. I want to sign it today and see if a black man can vote in Mississippi. And what Jesus did at the cross, he wrote the check, and when he walked out of the graveyard, he said, you can cash the check, it's good. It will set you free. It will set you free. You'll no longer be a slave of sin and the devil, for I not only write a check at the cross, you can cash it, and you receive it by faith, and when your signature goes on it, it's signed. By Jesus Christ, and He just wait for your signature. I accept, Philip Howard, and He redeems me. You see, redemption beautiful.
0: You've been listening to Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Thank you for joining us. As we conclude our time together, we are mindful of the fact that today's broadcast may have brought about a few questions. Well, there are a couple of ways of addressing those questions. You can get a hold of us and we'll do our best to answer them. Or if you wish, order the entire five CD set, which you can get for $15 or more. For a gift of $15 or more this month, we'll send you the five CD set called the Passion Collection. For a copy of today's program, just simply ask for it when you get a hold of us. There are a couple of ways you can contact us. The phone number, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or you can write to us, 1511 M Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. That's here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org, that's valleybible.org. If you would like to join us for worship, we'd love to have you. Service times here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules are at 9 and 11, and you can find out further information as well as get directions at our website, valleybible.org, or simply call us, 855-833-9864, that's 855 833 And then come back and join us next week at this same time as we continue our studies through God's Word. The Passion Series continues next week here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.